morning, everybody. Um, it is good to be back. Um, no, really, it is good to be back. Well, Holly and I have been on vacation with the kids for a couple of weeks, and we miss snow and cold weather and all that kind of good stuff, but we're back here with, with you and back to reality. Um, I highly recommend a vacation in the middle of the school year where everything else is going on and just get away from it all. It's just really good to do that and really grateful to be back here with you. Uh, as you might expect, uh, in, in consistent with being gone on a vacation, um, everything kind of gets disheveled a little bit in your, own, in your own personal life. So when you come back, like everything's kind of wonky and uh, you, it takes you a little while to find your footing. Consistent with that reality, I left my iPad and Bible at home this morning and pulled up here without my sermon. Uh, so, but I wrote it in the cloud, and I have it on my phone right there. So technology is good when it works, uh, true to form. So if you're, our, if you're our guest with us this morning, we're really glad you're here. Um, we're looking forward to baptizing here. Um, the heater broke. Just, no, I'm just kidding. It works great. <laughs> Thank you guys Friday night for setting this up. It's, I know that was not an easy, easy feat, but we're, we're, we'll jump into that, literally jump into that service. Um, near, near the end today. We are going through the book of Matthew together as a congregation in this service. We started at Christmas, and we're working our way through. As providence would have it, we are in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, which is where John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. Um, so we'll get to look at that passage here today. In fact, let's just get right to it. If you'll stand with me, um, we're going to read God's Word together, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And we'll go through this text together today. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. So there, maybe, maybe you have some television shows that you as a family like to watch together. Do you have some of those shows, like regardless of the age, uh, where it kind of works for you all? Um, I, I'm going to, don't judge me now. When I give you television shows, you can't start judging my media engagement, okay? <laughs> so one of those that we watch together as a family is All Creatures Great and Small on PBS. Does anybody else watch All Creatures? Oh, my heavens, people. Are you even Christians? You need to, it's free. It's PBS. For crying out loud. It's so great. So please go to watch season one. What's that? Tricky Woo. Tricky Woo. I know, right? Tricky Woo. That's the dogs, one of the dogs' names. Um, so that's, that's one of them. Interestingly, also in our family, is, is um, Shark Tank. Has anybody watched Shark Tank? Okay, well now, finally, Lord, this, this illustration was going to tank really fast. But now all the children who watch Shark Tank are going to resonate with this, right? So, yeah, so we, we watch the reruns and the new ones of, of Shark Tank often. Often we, we watch this. 
And one of the things that's really interesting about Shark Tank is that some of the people who come into uh, to make a presentation for their business and earn uh, or earn an investment from from the sharks is that some of those people knew exactly what they were setting out to do from the very beginning. Um, Most recently, I watched an episode where a product called Prime 6 had been invented. And and Prime 6, it's a weird name. I'm not sure where they got it from, but it was a product. It is a a log made from, and it's kind of hexagonal in shape, about this big, looks like a a piece of firewood in shape, but it's actually made of, of sawdust. Um, and it's compressed and formed into this, and it burns in your charcoal grill. It burns hotter than charcoal. It burns uh, cleaner. In fact, it leaves no residue whatsoever in the bottom of your grill. It completely is consumable. And it's the equivalent, their, their, their log is the equivalent of 30 pounds of charcoal. And, of course, they got an investment from Mr. Wonderful. And uh, so it was super, super cool. And they were intent on building this one thing in this specific way and growing the business with this strategic purpose from the very beginning. They knew exactly what they were going to do. But then you have others who end up in this business just walking into it backward. I mean, they had no idea that this was going to happen to them. They just turned around one day, and they had it. They had this, this business. One of, in the example most recently that I saw was this company called Truffle Shuffle. Those of you that have watched the Goonies in the 80s will appreciate that business name. And uh, come on, Chunk, do the truffle shuffle. That's exactly where they were, they were pulling that name from. These are chefs, Michelin-trained chefs, working in one of the world's finest restaurants called French Laundry. And they, um, they have these, they have truffles. Um, and if you want to learn more about truffles as a family, you, well, no, not as a family. Never mind, I won't mention the movie. All right, so, but you can, you can truffles are these very rare uh, items, mushrooms, for example, is the way I'll use it. And they grow in the forest, and they're fresh for five days, and they have this incredible, unique, unique flavor, and they're very, very expensive. You know, thousands of dollars a pound. Uh, super, super expensive. And so uh, they had a really great sh- uh, truffle business going, and then the pandemic hit, and the restaurants were shutting down and weren't buying their truffles. So what do you do? Well, you, you, you improvise. And so they created these online cooking experiences where they would mail you truffles and all the other ingredients, and then you would watch them through the internet, and you would feel like a Michelin star chef as you prepared this meal with the ingredients that they've shipped to you. Now, they, didn't, they were chefs. They weren't trying to start this business, but circumstances around them forced them into this role. And next thing you know, they're standing for the sharks, and they're getting investments uh, based on that as well, so you have, see what I'm saying? Some are super strategic and intentional. They, it's this, they've got the spreadsheets and the maps and the plans, and they're, and they're super intentional about going about what they're doing. And you have others who have like, you know, we're, we're doing this, but then this happened and this happened, and the next thing you know, this has happened, and now, now I'm in a studio getting an investment from a shark. They have no idea how they got where they, they, had, they know how they got there, but they didn't try to go about doing that. So as we look at Matthew chapter 3, Matthew has been at pains to demonstrate one thing so far, the identity of Jesus. This is his genealogy. These are the prophecies, and these are how these things will fulfilled. And now we come to this place in Matthew chapter 3, where with great intent and strategy and purpose, Matthew is trying to further uh, instill with you and I a certainty about the identity of Jesus. And he's doing it in a story in which Jesus demonstrates to us that he 
is going to begin his ministry with a very specific purpose. The things that we're going to read about in Matthew are not, um, as we read through the Gospel of Matthew and read about Jesus' ministry, there's nothing that he's going to say, there's nothing that he's going to experience, there's nothing that he's going to do in which Jesus fell backward into it. He is not waiting around for circumstances to happen and react and respond to them. Jesus, in his entire ministry, he is acting with purpose. He is more like the prime six than he is the truffle shuffle. Okay? That's what we're going to see here in Matthew 3. So you see it in, in this passage, verses 13 through 17. Look at verse 13. Jesus began his ministry with purpose. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan in order to be baptized. So the way that this phrase is, is structured in the original language, it, it overemphasizes and communicates with great emphasis and with great thrust that Jesus is coming to John with intent. He is coming with purpose. He is coming with a strategy. And this thought will carry its way through the entire passage and even the entire gospel. So Jesus is not falling backward into his ministry. It is, John, it is Matthew's point, the way he's structuring this, the way he's beginning this this uh, section of his gospel where Jesus is beginning his ministry, it is to say it was all on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing and why, and it was executed accordingly. Maybe your life is like this. It should be, if it's anything like mine. You make a plan, and then you work the plan, right? You plan the work, and you lay it all out, and it's going to happen just like you laid it out, right? <coughs> Wrong. You make the plan, but then you have to plan the work to, to figure out how you're, you know, it's, it doesn't ever happen like exactly like you lay it out. That's not the way Jesus' ministry worked. And that is what Matthew wants us to know. The work was planned long ago, and it will be executed according to plan without exception. And that begins with Jesus' baptism. And then that raises the question, well, what, what does Jesus' baptism accomplish? Why did he want that to happen? So we're going to have three baptisms here in just a few minutes. And we know what the purpose of that is. It is to demonstrate identity with the uh, crucified, buried, and risen Jesus Christ. Faith in him. What is true for him is now true for us. It is a proclamation of the truth of the gospel. We know what the purpose of that baptism is. But why would Jesus need to be baptized? What's, and what, what purpose does it accomplish? What does it communicate? Why is it important to Matthew's gospel? What difference does it make to us? And that's what I want to show you in the text today. So the first thing is this. There are three things. We're going to move super fast. Ready? Number one, Jesus is showing solidarity with you and I. Jesus is showing his solidarity with you and I. Look at verse 14 and 15. This is where I get that. So Jesus comes and John tried to stop him, saying... I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way. It's hard to say that without thinking of the Mandalorian. But this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. You, I'm not the only one who read that and thought about Mando. There's no way. Okay. John allowed him to be, to be baptized. Now, I have to tell you that before, like, kind of diving deeper into this passage, I was kind of with John the Baptist here. Isn't it weird that Jesus wants to be baptized, right? I agreed with John that Jesus did not need to be baptized. 
And if either of them was to be baptized, it should be John the Baptist. And even then, does he really need to be baptized? I'm not sure my reasons are the same as John's, you know, but I, but I agreed with John. You know, John, you can see in the passage, John's motivated by humility. John has a, uh, an awareness of his own sinfulness with Jesus right in front of him. Um, that's, that's what he's got, and that's what's motivating John. And even theologically, right, recognizing that John's baptism is for sinners who need to repent, it's just kind of weird. And so I don't, like, I want to, if I'm John, I just want to, like, hold, hold up, buddy, hold, hold Jesus, let me just kind of put my hand on his shoulder, like, you do realize that this is a baptism for repentant or penitent sinners. You don't need to be baptized, right? I can, I can understand just theologically, not just from a matter of humility, but just theologically, John understanding that this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Why in the world Jesus would want to be baptized? I can see John saying, no, 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 no. If you want to come in here, that's fine, but I'm the one that's going under the water, not you. So I can understand John's hesitation. But Jesus has an answer for this objection, and it's in verse 15. He says, you're going to allow it for now because this is the way. This is the way for us to do what? To fulfill all righteousness. So whatever that means, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, John goes, got it, and he baptizes Jesus. Now, what does that phrase mean? I love it sometimes. I, I love it when I'm working on a sermon and I come across a portion of a text or a verse that makes no sense to me. I love it when I then open up like all the smart people who have written all the books and it doesn't make sense to them either. Isn't that so gratifying? Like they go, I don't know what it means. Like I just, thank goodness. Like maybe I'm not as dumb as I think I am. So I just, you know, it's one thing to be ignorant, right? It's another thing to be ignorant alone. Um, <laughs> just... But ignorance with lots of people is just a party. It's great. You know, we don't know any better. Right? So that's the case with this verse. You're just, you, I did not find a commentator or a pastor or a theologian who can say, this is what it means. Like, this is the answer. And it's super, you know, for sure, right? But here's what it probably means. I know it's a weird phrase, but here's what it probably means. This is what Jesus is saying. John, we're going to do this because it's my purpose as the suffering servant to identify with the people whose sin I came to bear. It's my purpose to identify with them as a suffering servant, to identify with the people that I came to bear. In other words, Jesus got baptized like you and I got baptized in order to show his solidarity with us, those that he came to save. I love the way Leon Morris put it in his commentary. He said, you know, Jesus might as well have been up there in front standing with John and calling on all the sinners to come and repent. But instead, Jesus got down there with the sinners and affirmed his solidarity with them, making himself one with them in the process of salvation that he would in due course accomplish. Jesus got baptized to show his solidarity with you and I. He didn't just become human. He, had, he showed his solidarity with us as sinners who are human. Um, I was, I was, Holly and I were talking about this, uh, this, this point a couple of days ago. 
and, and she told me the story of a, of a book um, in which uh, that told the story of U.S. elected officials, federal officials, senators, and, and congressmen who attempted to live uh, on the budget of, uh, of food stamps for their family and attempted to eat according to the nutrition standards that the government's put out and eat organically. Fair enough? Is that right? Organically and nutritionally. Close enough, right? For a Baptist sermon, close enough. All right. So do you understand what they were, they were trying? So here are the, these senators who make who knows how much money, and we're not going to talk about how they do it. But they make what they make, and they earn what they earn, and they are way up the echelon of, of thought leadership in our, in our nation. And in an attempt to show solidarity with these people, they lived off food stamps in their food budget and tried to eat organically, inevitably eating a lot of organic pasta, right, because of the money that's allowed to it was an attempt to show solidarity. It was an attempt to show unity. It was an attempt to demonstrate that even though they may be above them, they were still among them. And Jesus was not above the people that he was trying to save. He came among the people that he would save. And so that's why he was baptized. In part, it was to show his solidarity with his people. And he also wanted to show something to us about his manner. So he's showing us solidarity and he's showing us his manner. Look at verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water and the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. So it's, it's interesting because right after this, like we're going to baptize three, three, three people here in a little bit. Chances are you're going to pull out your phone, some of you, you may broadcast it live on Facebook or Instagram or some other means. Um, you, you may just record it and post it later. You may take pictures and post it later. And there are going to be several people who stay here and can give very detailed eyewitnesses accounts, eyewitness accounts about the baptisms that are going to take place. That's just this is the way of our, our world. Which I find it interesting because there's so many people presumably present here at Jesus' baptism and there are no details about the actual immersion. There's nothing here. No, and the other accounts either in the Gospels. There's just the slightest mention that he came up out of the water. The other details aren't there. But there is a detail, right, in the story that Matthew really focuses in on. And it's what happened when Jesus came out of the water. There's this temporary moment in which whatever barrier exists between heaven and earth, between this world and that one, that barrier disappeared just for a moment for Jesus, maybe for others, depending on which gospel account you're reading and how the language is tweaked. That barrier is removed. And when that barrier was removed, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, says Matthew, descended on Jesus, and he uses this phrase, like a dove. Like a dove. Now, back in biblical days, there was no really tightly uh, or highly detailed classification system for animals like we have today, right? It was 1820 before we classified the family of birds that doves and pigeons come from, okay? That just didn't exist. And there are at least 16 types of doves in North America, as I have learned over the week. So Matthew's not being that specific, right? But what he does have in mind is some sort of dove or some sort of pigeon. That's the image he wants you to have when you think about in this moment 
the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. Now, why this image? What does Matthew intend for us to convey in this image? The answer is it conveys the manner of Jesus' ministry going forward. And what it conveys is that Jesus' ministry is one of power because it's the Holy Spirit and one of mildness or gentleness because it's a dove. It's one of power. The manner of his ministry and the manner of his being is one of power and one of gentleness, one of power and one of mildness. Now, if you do a search for the most powerful materials on earth, in the top 10, you're going to find things like diamonds, steel, polyethylene, all of which are super strong, very powerful, and they are hard, very hard. But you will also find something called silk. Spider silk in particular, right? A thread of spider silk, which is very gentle and very soft, can resist way more pull than a thread of steel. It's way more powerful in that respect and yet infinitely as soft. That's the nature of Jesus' ministry. It is powerful and it is gentle. It is strong and it is mild. Jesus had a backbone and Jesus had a heart. Jesus had truth and he had love. He had words, and he had, uh, he had compassion. Uh, he had uh, honesty, and he had uh, truth for his people. And if we read through the gospel, you're going to see that over and over and over again. And sometimes people need one. Sometimes people need the other. Sometimes people need both. And Jesus is going to show us how to do all of that. He knows exactly what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. And the manner of his ministry is one that is both of power and of mildness and gentleness. And his baptism com- communicates that to us. And the last thing that it communicates to us is his identity. Look at verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Who is, who is Jesus? It's a fair question. Right? We're 2,000 years past. Like, who, who is Jesus? Well, this is why we go through a gospel in order. This is one of the benefits of doing this, because that's basically been Matthew's intent from verse 1 of chapter 1. He's gone to great lengths to answer that question. Who is Jesus? From, from, the, from the genealogies to the, to the narrative in which prophecies were fulfilled and illustrate how those things happened to this moment right here. Who is Jesus? He couldn't be more clear. This verse tells us he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And if you just slow down and read the verse, you can see that. You have a voice from heaven. God the Father is speaking, who does not lie. What does he say? This is my beloved. He calls him beloved. God the Father has a strong affection for Jesus the Son. He's my beloved Son, right? So you have the heavenly voice of God the Father have a strong affection for His Son. This is an exclusive type of relationship. And in the context of all the things that, uh, all the Jewish things that Matthew has been at work to, to, uh, to demonstrate in his gospel to this point and will continue to do all throughout his gospel, Son is Messiah. He's the Savior of God's people. This is my beloved Son, my beloved Messiah, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the human being, has the stamp of approval from God the Father. When the, when the Father takes, thinks of Jesus, He takes pleasure in Him all the time and for always. 
Think about this as a parent. We always love our children no matter what, no matter what. But sometimes they do things that just make us really, really proud, right? And we have those moments in which we think about our children and we just take great, like an exceptional amount of joy and pleasure in them, right? And there are times, of course, where we still love them and we do not take great pleasure in who they are. God the Father has only known one of those feelings about Jesus. He has always and for eternity taken the highest degree of pleasure and joy in His Son. That tremendous sense of pleasure that you feel when your children really crush it or really just you see their character shine through in a way that makes much of the Lord, that's the way God has always felt for eternity about His Son, always. We get fleeting moments, not enough moments. He always has it. He's His Son. He's come to save the people from their sins, and He's going to do it, and that's going to be to the Father's good pleasure. It's going to be to His good pleasure. So Jesus got baptized to show His solidarity with us. He got baptized to show the nature of His ministry. He got baptized to validate His identity uh, as he set about to begin his ministry. So what does this mean for you and I? Well, a few things. Number one, it means that we have even more compelling evidence to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and who the Father says he is. Let's just be objective about this. If you want to objectively weigh whether or not Jesus is who he says he is and he actually is going to accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish, it's getting real hard to say, no, that's not the case. Because Matthew's done an incredible job of demonstrating this again and again and again. And now we have the Divine Father speaking and the Holy Spirit descending and declaring, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So I want to compel you and urge you to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He actually is going to do later on in the gospel. He's going to do what He says He's going to do and He's going to take the wrath of God on your behalf and He's going to overcome the death that He endured with the resurrection because He lived the perfect life. And what can be true, what is true of Him can be true of you by grace, through faith. If you believe that He did that and trust in His goodness and not your own and trust in His payment for your sin and not paying it on your own, you can, what is true for Jesus can be true for you. I want to compel you to believe that and trust that. And if you already do, then I want to remind you of a couple of very important things that are in this passage. God gets you. He gets you. By showing His solidarity with you, it's important to understand that He's not, in in as much as He is transcendent, in as much as He is other, in as much as He is holy, in as much as it blows your mind to conceive anything true about Him, what this passage shows us is that God, in His compassion, in His love, in His mercy, in His incarnation, He gets us. He is with us. As much as He is imminent, He is also Emmanuel. And He is for you. He is for you. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. He's for us. He is for us to enjoy Him. He is for us to obey Him. He is for us to have our pleasure in Him. And the means and the paths by which He may get us there may not be super comfortable. Okay? We were coming back from our, our, our flight from, from, from Hawaii, and you're just up 30 hours, and at some point your body just says, enough is enough. 
And on that, the last 20-minute descent from Denver to Nashville, we're landed in Nashville, and we've all been up way too much. Luke and Abby's body said, that's enough. Hand me a barf bag. Right? It's just, you're just you've had enough. It was bumpy. But the destination was right. Folks, just because the, the destination is, just because the road is bumpy where the Lord is taking you, it doesn't mean that the, the destination is wrong. We don't judge whether or not God is for us based on how well our circumstances are. We base on God is for us how much Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. God is for you. That's how you know. So don't look to your circumstances and go, oh, I wonder if God is for me or not. He's making me do all this stupid stuff. He's taking away this. This pain is that. This suffering is that. That doesn't mean God's not with you. Jesus means God is with you. Jesus means God is for you. Tell yourself that. And then go in faith and joy in his good pleasure. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are, we are so grateful that Jesus got baptized, not as a sinner needing to repent, but as one showing his solidarity with sinners, showing the, the nature and the character of his ministry, showing the true identity of him as Savior, which means so much. It means so much. It compels us to believe. It shows that you get us. It shows that you're for us. And so we want to leave here today believing and trusting that. Believing and trusting that. So, Father, as we, as we consider a response in our hearts, would you do your work to show us how to respond to your grace? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.